Hi, and welcome to the Active Code podcast, brought to you by Aspire Active Partnerships. I'm Paul Griffiths, and joining me each week on the pod is Luke Johnson. Aspire Active Partnerships is a community of like-minded business leaders who all believe that collaboration in the sports coaching and children's activity sector is essential for success. We've proven that working in collaboration does benefit business growth and essentially helps more children be more active more often. To combat physical inactivity, we need organisations that are performing at their very best. Organisations will only operate to high standards if they are led well. So, if we can focus on developing high-quality leaders throughout an organisation, not just at the top, customers will experience higher-quality services, which means heightened enjoyment levels and increased levels of physical activity. And if we do this at an early age, we know that we can build the foundations for a more active, happier and healthier life. The Active Code investigates what it really takes to be a successful leader and how organisations can combat physical inactivity. We won't be alone through this journey. We are joined by business owners and experts from our sector, as well as inspirational people from outside our industry. We'll understand the importance of physical activity to our guests, reflect on leadership experiences, and gain thought-provoking insights on how we can crack the active code get more children more active more often if you like what you hear please leave us a rating and subscribe wherever you get your pods in this episode we welcome mark tonks the md of orange and blue uk a learning and development consultancy based in the west midlands mark has been a regional director for lmi uk for more than 17 years having made a decision to help develop people to fulfill potential after successful 20-year career in the industry. With a 60-year history and engaging 2.5 million clients in that time, LMI are one of the most successful learning and development in the world. Mark has a real passion for seeing people achieve more and has worked to help many hundreds of organisations unlock the potential within their people. Mark is also a fully qualified and accredited executive has helped raise thousands of pounds for small charities and was or should I, is still a keen sportsman. Welcome to the podcast, Mark. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Um, we've covered a little bit there of your background in the introduction to the pod, um, but can we just start with you telling us a bit more about your professional journey and transition through your roles? Yeah, sure. So, uh, left school, um, fairly unfulfilled. Um, stumbled through a few jobs uh, and then got a job effectively driving all over the country in a transit van, um, supporting um, sales guys with paint spraying equipment. I had a great time, two and a half years, as you can imagine, I was 19. Expense account, the vehicle, what more do you want? Uh, Overnight stays all over the country. But I got a flavour of um, sales and, and I thought, you know what, I quite like the idea of that. So two and a half years down the line. I got promoted into a sales job, got my first car, a 1.3 Ford Escort with a windy sunroof. And I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. It was like a sports car for me. So I spent 20 years in the paint finishing industry, started in sales, worked my way through, um, ultimately became a sales director. Then I became a divisional director of a German company here in the UK. So I ran a division of their business. And I guess that's where, in business, I really cut my teeth on leadership um, because I had a team of people. I had to manage all aspects of the business, the financials, the recruitment, the budgeting, the sales, the marketing, um, the people, the operations, and all that sort of stuff. Um, But the leadership piece was really the thing that got me excited, working with the people. Um, So, you know... I was 39 years old, thought I was probably going, I've been at that company 10 years, uh, thought I was probably going to stay there for the rest of my life. And then I had one of those surreal moments where you get invited into the office by the managing director whose opening line is, things aren't really working out between us, are they, Mark? Um, Well, there's only one winner in that conversation. So I left that organisation that afternoon. Um, but it gave me the opportunity then. I spoke to LMI on the Monday, who um, I'd been a customer of. We'd, we'd re, you know, we'd used them. And I loved what they'd done for me. I'd love what they'd done for my team. So I had a long conversation with 
the then owner of Leadership Management UK, Ray King. Um, and I joined them in November of 2000. Um, as a franchisee, I bought into the business. Um, and then subsequently, I've spent the last 20 years as part of that organisation, um, as well as you know an, an additional couple of things in the toolbox now in, in profiling, uh, psychometric testing, and obviously the, the, the coaching uh, part of my business as well. But that's the journey. Um, you know, I've loved every minute um, of the two lives, I call it. You know, my, my previous life in paint finishing was great, still in contact with many people. And I've obviously, I've, I've really found the stuff I love to do in the last 20 years. So that's, that's how I've ended up here. Great. Yeah, great journey. And, and I'm sure in the last 20 years, you've had some ups and downs, there's a recession. Obviously, we're recording this in the, the midst of a, a the pandemic, which we've all unfortunately been accustomed to over the last nine months, but um, I think the you know the really important fact with regards to um, your approach on leadership and you know, something that I, I think it was on your profile, Mark. You, you said I believe leadership is a full contact sport practiced on a day to day basis with real human beings and not an academic study of theories or models. Do you want to elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah. Um... You know, sort of coming the route I I went. You know, I I, I mucked around at school, quite frankly. So I, I squeezed my way into a few O levels, but I I was allowed very kindly. The school allowed me to kind of stay on and study A levels, but I mucked about, failed my A levels, didn't know what to do, bumbled through life. So my education really is the, is the University of Life, um, and I've seen good stuff and I've seen not so good stuff, and. Um, you know, leadership is not an event. It's not a one-off thing. It's not a study in in theory. And I, and I see too many people tick a box. I mean, I, I think it's ridiculous you can go and do a degree in leadership. You can't do a degree in leadership. Leadership, you know, if you want to learn about leadership, go buy a book. Save yourself thousands just buy the book and you can learn about it. If you want to become a leader, you've got to do it and you've got to do leadership every single day with all those individuals that you interact with and it is up close and personal and one of the challenges of trying to lead a business through a screen is there's now a barrier between you and your people um because it's it is full contact it's not you know it's not sitting in ivory towers it's walking the floor it's walking in their shoes it's you know leadership's about helping other people become more successful you can't do that through a screen at the end of an email or from an ivory tower. And it's not about all those models people talk about. For sure, all of that underpins what you do, but that's not the thing. And I, and I, I get frustrated when people talk about, uh, you know, what qualification will I get from doing a, any form of leadership development or personal development? It's not about the, it's not about the certificate on the wall. It's about what you do on a daily basis with the people you're leading. And that's that's my frustration, and I see it right across all sectors, this obsession with, well, what's the qualification? The qualification should be the testimonial your staff give about you. That's the qualification, not a certificate in a frame on a wall. So that's, you know, it, it, it's that's why I badged it up close, personal, full contact sport. Yeah, and we'll touch on leadership in a bit more detail uh, later in the podcast. This podcast is all about discovering you know, the active code, trying to solve the, the active code. Uh, and for us, we believe that to get more children more active more often, we need better organisations. To have better organisations, we need better leaders, um, and that's better leaders throughout the whole um, organisation. So um, the whole full contact sport, um, analogy there that we we kind of touched on in that in that um, conversation we just had there is it kind of goes on to my next question really about what what does physical activity mean to you Mark? Um, well, if you ask my parents, um, I think from about the age of eighteen months, if there was a ball, I kicked it, I picked it up, I threw it. So I've spent all of my life. Sport has been a massive part of my life. Um, it shaped me, and, and I'll touch on something in a little while that really changed the course of my life. But sport to me is an absolute 
paramount. Um, it's over the years, um, you know, and, and like I say, I, I probably joined my first organised sports club when I was about five in terms of football. Uh, and then it became cricket and then it became rugby and running and all sorts of stuff. Um, so to me, it's a major, major part of my life. And, and, the, and the, the life-changing thing was when I left school, you know, like I said earlier, I, I'd mucked around a bit at school. I joined a local rugby club. And it was the first time where I felt I was amongst a group of people that really didn't care what qualifications I'd got, whether I'd got O-levels, A-levels, whether I'd be the university or got a degree. All they cared about, could I play rugby? Would I buy them around after the game? And was I an all right bloke? That's all they cared about. It didn't matter where I came from. And it was the first time I was exposed to a group of people that I aspired to be like. You know, there was some. There were three or four people that mentored me as a sixteen-year-old. Never played rugby before. Um, mentored me not just about how to play rugby, how to conduct myself, how to go about um, challenging myself to be better every day. Uh, about you know, not settling for average or mediocrity. Push yourself. You know, set some more goals. Get in the first team. You know, I joined at 16, having never played rugby in my life. By the end of that first season, I'd got into the first team. I was the youngest player in the club ever to play in the first team. Um, but that wasn't down to me alone. And that was four or five people taking me under their wing, leading, mentoring and guiding me. So it's a really important point. It matters a lot to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think really interesting there, you, you touched on the, uh, it helped shape you, you know, from a from a young age. You know the importance, yeah, the importance of being active at a young age gives you the foundations to lead an active life. You know, you chose to play sport through that through that active life. So, um, you know, the, it's the it really is a solid foundation. Just can't stress enough. And you know, obviously, given the backgrounds we all have, um, we know that. Um, challenge, I guess, then comes to how can we convey that to other people that that may not be a sporting. Yeah, the, the, the interesting thing was it, it, it didn't just, you know, being amongst that group who, you know, it's that, you know, that you, you surround yourself with better people, you get you get a better outcome. It was that then I transferred that mindset into my career. So, you know, then the career started to go in the right direction. Once, once they started to shape my character, my attitudes, my behaviour, you take that to your place of work, you take it into your family life, you take it into your social life, you take it everywhere you go. So, you know, that positive influence that they had on me through sport, I, I wouldn't have had the career I've had. I wouldn't have set my own company up uh, if I hadn't have experienced that. I, I just wouldn't have, it would not have happened. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have uh, become a divisional director of a German company without that grounding. So that's the impact. You know, it's it might be one pocket of society, people who engage in sport, but you take the learned skills, attitudes and behaviours and you, you apply it to all areas of your life and it works, you know, it, it, it's a mindset thing. Just on those attitudes and characteristics you, you described there, Mark, what you took on board when you joined that rugby club, what what were they? What are the ones that stand out? Those key behaviours and attitudes you you took from that. Well, first of all, it was uh, you know that I, I I say it a bit glibly that you know can he play rugby? So you, you had to be competent, but they had patience. They showed me the basics. I'd never played before. They taught me with patience all the basics. They looked after me on the pitch. As, you know. A little 16-year-old kid who'd only ever kicked a football, never picked up a rugby ball. They looked after me on the pitch. So, you, you know, you look up to these guys. So the competence level improved. They encouraged me to practice more. So your confidence level goes up. And competence plus confidence is the root of all success, really, isn't it? You've got to be, you know, get good at what you do, but also believe you believe in yourself. So they, and then, and then it was just, um, the whole, I mean, maybe it's a rugby philosophy. I'm, I'm sure Paul will agree. It's similar in cricket. The whole way to, to carry yourself, conduct yourself, 
the whole team values uh, and team ethos. Nobody's bigger than the team. Uh, the whole respect for the game, the people in the game, the authorities in the game, um, all of that stuff you take with you. And the culture of, oh, and by the way, there's no replacement for you. You've got to work hard. You've got to put a shift in. You know, you can be gifted and talented, but you've got to graft as well. You know, I, I was never the most gifted uh, on the rugby pitch. I worked hard at it, though. I became as good as I could be. Uh, and, and that all, those are the things that if you then take that, right, I need to become competent. There's no excuse. Or I'm not very good at that. Well, learn to become better. You know, the mindset, the, the team ethos, um, the values, driven decision making. You know, this is how I behave. I'm not going to behave like that. This is what we do. We don't do that. So you take that wherever you go. And that all came through surrounding myself with a peer set that challenged me to become as good as I could become. Great stuff. How, how do you keep active now, Mark? You're still playing Grace, oh, gracing, the, gracing the, the rugby field? Oh, I wish. <laughs> I wish. In, in my dreams, I am still, uh, you know, that 16, 17-year-old learning the ropes. No, mate, I, um, my, my body told me at about 40 it was time to quit. Uh, my physio told me at 42, with a, I had a bit of a neck injury, uh, that I should definitely quit. So, uh, and my knees ultimately were the things that, that led me to pack up rugby. Uh, my very last game, I, I, I loved sharing it, was uh, on the banks of the River Danube, playing against a team from Italy. That was my last first team game ever. That wasn't a bad place to stop, to be honest. Uh, so that was quite cool. I'd love to play. Now, I play a bit of cricket, social cricket. Um, my, you know, I come in off about a three-pace run-up now. And uh, deceptively slow, I think they describe me as. Uh, I, I love batting. hate fielding because that just hurts. Standing up in a field for three hours isn't good. I go to the rugby club most weekends when we could, obviously. Um, I do a lot of fitness work. Uh, been working out throughout uh, lockdown, doing insanity hit training with my 31-year-old son. And I'm very proud to say I saw him off. He got injured and I was still going. So that that... You know, and I'm 60 in April, so uh, so I was very pleased about that. So, yeah, um, uh, and, but but I combine that now with things like meditation, and I do lots of walking. Uh, you know, if I can't run because of my knees, uh, I do lots of walking, and obviously I do my charity walk once a year, which is 38 and a half mile for charity. So I'm I'm active all the time. If I'm not doing something daily, I start to get a bit worried about it all. <laughs> But but I do, I think you're probably aware, I do have an underlying reason as well, which um, drives me on in that area, which was, you know, back in 2015. Despite being very fit, and I think this is a differentiator, I was, I was very fit, but I wasn't very healthy and I suffered a heart attack. So I had to have a triple bypass. That's a bit of a wake-up call. I was 53. Um, so... You know, that, that sort of wakes you up to, it's not all about going down the gym and doing the hard yards. It's about how you treat yourself and how you look after yourself. So I'm much more mindful now about meditating. I've gone plant-based on my diet. I started that at the start of lockdown. So I've lost, oh, I don't know, stone and a half. I've got, a, there is a 15 on the scales now for the first time in 20 years. Um, so that's pleasing. So I'm, I'm under 16 stone. You know, I, I wasn't uh, under 16. I was under 16 stone when I was playing regular rugby and I was really fit and all the rest of it. But So, you know, I sleep better. I eat better. I exercise regularly. I drink loads of water. I barely tr drink alcohol. I know that will come as a shock to many. Uh, I've probably had... Three three beers since lockdown last year. I just I just don't drink, you know. So yeah, I look after myself. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. You hear it a lot, don't you? You know, it's really unfortunate incident that happened in 2015, and like you say, it's a wake up call. Um, and, and unfortunately, it does it takes that at times, doesn't it? And I know LMI, uh, you know, having gone through that 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 
the the, the courses at LMI run, which are which are fantastic, and it kind of really opened my eyes to the you know what is leadership and that whole total person approach that LMI have, and and something I know you were a big advocate yeah. on. So, do you just want to go into a bit more detail of that and the and the importance of that? Those six areas, really. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, you know, it, it's really interesting now because it's really relevant now with with this. Uh, you know, we are in a challenging time. I think. You know, the whole pandemic has been in itself a challenge, but I don't think we've fully been fully impacted yet by the state of the economy. I think that's coming down the tracks as well. I do, but I am an optimist and I do believe the bounce back will be good and quite quick. But, the, you know, the economy has taken an absolute beating. So many, many people are really, and I understand why, are really focused on their workplace that we call it career and finance and they're really fixated on that and I get it and I understand it but we look at five other areas so career and finance business that's one area we look at but you know we also get people to look at their physical and health as we're talking about today because you're no good at work if physically you're a wreck you know I had to take a year off you know I run my own business there's nobody bringing in the breaking when I'm recovering so Physical and health is really important, but also, you know, uh, mental and educational. You know, if you're physically in a great place, but mentally you're all over the shop, that's not going to be very useful for you. So we we look at mental and educational. Um, Social and cultural, it's probably the one that's challenged most right now. And I jokingly say to people, you know, get a life. It's not all about work. Um, so go and experience the world, go and socialise, go and explore culture and all that sort of stuff. Difficult right now, but it needs to be worked on. Uh, family and home, obviously massively important to most and many people. Um, and that's, you know, it's great if you're giving it all to work, but your home life's trashed. Uh, that's not going to do you any good either. And then the fifth area is what we call spiritual and ethical. And I'll be honest with you, this is the one that freaks most people out because they assume we're talking about religion. For some people, of course, it's a religious thing. And there's, you know, that's great. That's their, that's their thing. But, but we're looking at something bigger than that. We're looking at that area in your life that involves your values, your ethics. You're, you know, it's bigger than it's bigger than you. It's that giving back part, and what our experience shows us: if people ignore that part of their life, all of the the other five areas can actually be in a good place. But if that values ethics, um, the way you conduct your the way you conduct yourself, you know, your beliefs, if that's ignored or compromised, the rest will go wrong pretty quickly. So we really encourage people to, to look at themselves, you know, their emotional intelligence, their values, their beliefs. What do they stand for? You know, and, and get involved in stuff you stand for. And I suppose the magic is, you know, if you could have a career, I'm very lucky. I do something I believe I'm good at, that I love to do, and I actually stand for it. I, you know, this, this is a passion for me, and I get paid for doing that. So I'm I'm privileged, and, and I guess to a degree, Paul, I think knowing you as I do, I think you feel about the same about yeah, what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, really, you know, really you, quite privileged. You I think you almost, you almost feel that you've yeah. lucky in a way, but you know, I yeah, I think you're... Absolutely. But again, you know, we would encourage people to make their own luck, you know, de- design that future success. Yeah. You know, design that area that you want to work in. You know, so, so those six areas, yeah. Yeah, firm belief. I think you create, you create your own look, don't you? I think, and you, you, know, you know, it's not. It doesn't just happen. Some for some people, it does. It just happens. But for the vast majority of us, you've got to put a shift in. You, you know, you, you alluded to the hard work on the on the on the from a sporting context, and you've learned to. You can't be spoon fed. Some people are unfortunate to have that done, but you've you've got to put the the hard yards in to 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 get that success and and. When I say success, I mean that in that kind of total leadership and that total person approach that we're talking about in all those different areas. And, you know, in, in the pandemic, things change and your focuses shift. And, and not, you know, not just in the pandemic, just in general, you know, in various months, you may focus on 
uh, you know, family may be a key focus, um, but then it might shift towards business in a bit more direction. But you know, we've always got to keep all of those elements really kind of on our radar, haven't we? We can't we can't let them slip. So what I'm interested to just delve into now is, so how do we, you're obviously talking around the physical um, health side of things. So um, how can we promote physical activity and the importance of it to, to more people, in particular those people that don't have that, that sporting background? This is going to sound really weird. I've been thinking about this. I think we've got to normalise it again. Um, When I grew up, when I was a little kid, sport was normal. It's just what you did. It wasn't special. You went to school. Sport was just what you did. It was on the, whatever they called it back then, I don't know if it was called a curriculum. But every lunchtime you went outside to play. It was... it wasn't called lunch, it was called playtime. We had playtime. So you went out and played, you ran around the field, you ran around the playgrounds, you ran around the places at school you shouldn't run around because you always pushed the boundaries, you know. Um, and it was, but that was normal. When you went home, you went out to play. It was normal. And I think slowly over time, for whatever reason, you know, you know probably a million times better than me. All of that sort of started to stop, and, and, and you know, I don't want to get into a, a political conversation and the reasons behind it, but it started to stop. And now we're sort of taking sport as, oh, right, we've got to do something special to reintroduce it. Sport should be normalised again. It should be just what is expected. It's what we do. So there's one area I think where, where and, and how, I mean, I'm no magician. I, I, how you do that, I haven't got a magic formula for it. But the other thing um, with with kids, and, and, and I passionately believe this about all education, but life in general, is stop measuring kids against each other so that, you know, oh, well, you know, Johnny's good at sport but and, and, and Sally's good at sport, but these two kids aren't as good as them, so they're not good at sport. It's that measure them against who they are, what they can achieve, and how they can better themselves. Stop comparing them to other kids. You know, if you're brilliant at rugby and somebody's brilliant at table tennis or maths, don't compare them to the person that's brilliant at rugby. Compare them to how good could they become at table tennis, how good could they become at maths. So then you get individual learning and growth rather than compared to what is normal for a child of seven. They should be able to do this. I don't buy into that. I, I don't buy into that right across the curriculum because, you know, some kids are going to be brilliant. Some kids aren't. All they can be as good as they can be. And, and I do get this, this feeling that they're, they're trying to normalise kids. Kids are special. You know, who's to say that Graham, who's brilliant at chess, is no more or less a sportsman than than Sally, who's an Olympic athlete? He's brilliant at chess. So I think, is there a way of bringing in individual learning into sport so that people don't feel disenfranchised because they're not as good as the other kids in the class? But yeah, but look how look how you developed in the last month you know you scored four in month one you scored six in month two you're 50 percent better than you were not well you're not as good as fred who scored 10 that's where i think some improvements could be made you might correct me and go mark that's already happening i don't know but you know i think it's a it seems mark like a general thing in schools across the board though there's an expectation that everyone should be hitting rather than it being individualised like what you said. And you said earlier that you reach your potential in rugby. You yeah. made that as a key point. You, you, you know, you had your potential and, you, and that, that's what you strived yeah. for. And you also spoke about those leaders or peers you, you had at that rugby club that, that helped you grow as a person when you started playing rugby. Who is the most inspirational leader you've worked with, either professionally or personally? Well, that's that's a good question because um, it's a question I've asked myself 
it's a question we ask in one of our programs um, to name those people. So in a, in, in a professional capacity, and I think it's really sad to say, um, people, you know, companies that I was employed by, um, I wouldn't put anybody into the category of a leader that I would aspire to become like. They had some good points. They were all flawed. But my overall impression of them wasn't positive, um, which is a sad reflection, really, um, you know, considering the billions that get spent on leadership development every year, uh, that my personal experience. So when I joined the rugby club, uh, those guys, I, I, I wasn't employed by them. They inspired me. Um, in work, I've come across people I've worked with in terms of customers or suppliers that I thought, you know, they've got something about them. Subsequently, obviously, you know, setting up my um, leadership practice, I meet people every week who inspire me. I don't work for them. Some of them are customers. Some of them are people I've networked with. Some of them are people I've, I've read books about. So... You know, the list is endless. There are a few people I put on a pedestal um, who um, I've met and I've had the privilege to meet and have inspired me. And, and you, know, in, you know, some of them actually are significant. Some of them are kids that I coached at Arthur Terry School back in 2006. And it's just what they've gone on and done in their own careers and lives I get great inspiration from. In 2006, we ran a program, and I knew what they were like then, and, and I look see where they are now. That that's where I get my inspiration from. Yes, I read books. John Maxwell, Love Into Bits. Uh, Simon Sinek, Love Into Bits. Um, but there's a million and one. Paul J. May, the founder of LMI, obviously, I got inspired by that. Um, but you know, I'm disappointed that I've never had a boss that was somebody I wanted to be like. Saddens me. Yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? Really, but yeah. it's really, really interesting. Yeah, it is a shame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if we were to ask one of your colleagues or clients about your leadership style, what would they, what would they say? <laughs> Flawed, probably. <laughs> um, I would think they would probably suggest um, it, it is um, fairly direct and fairly decisive. Um, so I, I know myself very well and I know where I have to temper my directness. Um, I have to practice my listening. Um, I have to practice my empathy. Um, and I have to practice my, I practice my, my patience. So if you spoke to people, you know, from my previous lives who I've led formally or informally, they would probably say, um, you know, I'm best in a crisis because I'm fairly decisive, but um, I probably am not the best listener. Uh, but, I, but I know that and I practice it um, and remind myself daily that's what I must do. Yeah, and that, that's, that's a really good point there because I think there's, there's a lot of people um, – Leaders of organisations, big and small, that, that probably miss the point on that. They, they probably fail to recognise some of their um, flaws that they need to develop and, and, and work on. And I know some of the organisations that we work with, you know, we've got a mix. We've got people, I'm sure it's just from what you experienced, Mark. We've got people that um, understand that if they make mistakes, that's a way of developing an, um, an, an opportunity to learn and get better and improve as a leader. But then there's also those people that kind of turn a blind eye to it and, and unfortunately um, think maybe they're the best thing since sliced bread and they continue doing what they're doing. So, well, It's really interesting, Paul, because one of the questions um, I have to ask when I go and see people when, when they're contemplating doing any form of leadership development with their team is because m many times they'll say, oh, it's not me, it's my people. It's, it's not me, it's them. They need, they need to be fixed. And I have to ask that unfortunate and challenging question at some point in the conversation. Do you think their performance as it is, is because of them or the way you lead them? 
And that's a tough call when you're asking somebody to spend money with you to sort of say to them, look, you know, it might be you. You know, I probably had this conversation with you those years ago. It might be you. Had you thought about that one? And any leader that says, no, it's not me. In my world, I don't think they're a very good leader, quite frankly. Because I, I would argue it's always about the leader. Always. Irrespective of, of how they want to develop their team. Any leader that says to me, it's not me, I don't need it. They're, they're not a very good leader. Because as, as I said, it's, it's a day-to-day, up-close and personal, full-contact sport. You learn new stuff every single day when you're leading. And anybody that thinks they know it, it's a time to quit. It's a time to get them out of the seat. So early, Mark, you spoke about children um, and the, the whole data approach and trying to compare them. But realistically, we want children to be better versions of themselves. And I think that's a, that's a key point from a leadership perspective in organisations as well. Um, we've been doing a little bit of research recently with organisations that we work with in our sector. And it's really interesting. There's a mix of organisations that will put things out there to get feedback on their leadership. So yeah, whether you call that benchmarking in your world or not, I'm not sure. But does, does that help? Is there an important side of that? Yeah, does, does that help get us does that help leaders get that feedback in so we 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 know where to improve and we know how to get better i think it's um uh, vital that you get from the people you're leading their feedback on what you do that's brilliant how you help and how you hinder and, and, and you know again one of the things i really encourage leaders to do is you know a, a, just a 5 minute coffee a conversation around the coffee machine, you know. So just, you know, whilst, you, whilst you've got a minute, give us some feedback. If there was one thing that I could stop doing that would help you, what would it be? It's a great question to ask your team. Just one thing, you know, I'm not going to hold it. Just tell me if there's one thing that's, you know, that's getting in the way that, that I'm doing, just tell me what it is. Because we, you know, leaders are busy people. They get the blinkers up. They get immersed in what they're doing. And unless they stick their head up, open their ears, take a look, look around, listen and learn. Well, right now, it's really challenging for leaders because they've got their head nailed into, for most organisations, staying alive. You know, they're still in, how are we going to get through this thing? But I think it's crucial they get that feedback. As long as they take it, as learning, not criticism, and that's the that's the the danger piece. Is somebody get wrong? Right, so what do you think of me? Then I'll show you. It's learn from it. It's not it's not a criticism. It's positive. Everybody wants to do better. So I, I think it's it's fundamental. It should be done all the time. Yeah, I think that's a key key um, a key trait of of high performing leaders in yeah you know, whether it's sporting context or business that those. Higher performing leaders are those people that see what you could say criticism, uh, constructed feedback. Uh, take that. You've got to take that on board to help you improve. I, I, you know, I don't. I just personally, I don't get the mindset of you know, the drawbridge comes up. It's like defensive and and go into that mode. And I'm, you know, I'm sure you've come across lots of lots of people um, over the years that are like that. Which you know, I just I don't understand that, but it happens. Had a, had a, had a great conversation with somebody who, you know, obviously not going to name names. About 18 months ago, I had a conversation um, at board level along the lines of um, stop being so judgmental and start helping. Uh, There was a situation within an organisation where people who've been in leadership positions for some time were being very critical and judgmental of people who newly appointed to leadership roles. I had a conversation with that same individual two days ago. We just caught up with each other. And she gave me some fantastic feedback about these guys now. And she said, and I remember that conversation, Mark, where you called us out on it. And she said, we started helping and they've risen to it. And now they're brilliant. They're doing a fantastic job. And, and you know, we, and I'm guilty of this. We all get a bit judgmental. Rather than, you know, and I think it's, um, oh, who was it? One of, the, one of the super coaches, Marshall Goldsmith, I think it was. Um, uh, less judging, 
Those be less judgmental, be more helpful. I'm not going to judge you on what you've just done, but I'm going to help you do it better next time. That's what we should do as leaders. Yeah, and and, and going on from that, obviously, in your your role is to develop and, and nurture better leaders. And I know this this could go on. Yeah, you know, this could be a podcast in its own right. It could be a whole ten series <laughs> podcast. But in a nutshell, how do you ensure you develop leaders? They all come and do four LMI programs, Paul. I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll give you a call. We'll have a chat about this. <laughs> um, again, it's that encouragement of um, um, one size doesn't fit all, you know, and it, it's encouraging. Look, say you've done an LMI program, great. That doesn't make you a great leader. It means you've done an LMI program and you've learned some stuff. Go and experience. You, you've been and done, you know, Goldman Sachs and this, that, you know, that constant learning. You know, whether it's my stuff, other people's stuff, whether it's reading, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a TED talk, you should be learning every day. You should be putting good stuff in every day, you know, because the, the minute you think I've, I've cracked this leadership thing, tick the box, get the, you know, get the sheriff's badge. It's a day to quit your role. You should be constantly, just like we encourage our kids. We don't encourage our kids to stop learning. Well, you know, we shouldn't stop learning as leaders. You know, there's always something new out there. Uh, always, always, there's always something out there that we already know that we've stopped doing for some bizarre reason. Everybody's guilty of that one. Yeah, I already know that. Yeah, but are you doing it? Oh no! Why did you stop? You know, that's a really good question. I don't know. You know? And. and much of it is basic common sense and practical and, and, and it's not rocket science. Most of leadership is basic, practical, common sense. Um, Mark, we've, we've touched on the school side of things. We've touched on sports clubs as well. And that, that's very much uh, the industry we're in. What can our industry, the, the sport, the education industry, learn from other sectors to help combat inactivity i suppose it's 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 not it's not being afraid to go explore other sectors you know i think paul you very very kindly gave me the book legacy about the all blacks and how they went to the american football camps to learn about you know here's a here's a team that's like world champions in their own right the best team ever had one blip of a season or whatever it was, you know, let's go and explore what other people are doing. And I know um, Eddie Jones does it. And I know Pep Guardiola does it. These super, these people who are perceived to be the greatest leaders and coaches are constantly going into uncomfortable situations. I mean, a lot of people go and visit the military. So, you know, for, for education and sport, go and visit other companies, go and spend a day with a law firm, you know, as how, how far away from education and kids could you get? I don't know. Law firms, marketing agencies, architects, whatever, charities. Go and go and explore. It was one of the things I did the Common Purpose program a few years ago, and that was one of the great things about that. I went to places to listen about leadership to play. I'd never go. I went to prisons. I went to Belfast for the day, which was mind blowing spending a day with, with the leaders of Belfast City Council. And when you think about the challenges, say, Birmingham faces as a city, compared to the challenges those guys had to face, it was just, you know, and so it's take the blinkers off, I guess. What can we learn is learn to take the blinkers off. Go and sit in the shoes of leaders in other scenarios. And if you if you come away with one good idea, then that's been worth a day's trip, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, completely. Agree. I, I did the yeah. Common Purpose course, Mark, back was probably probably about six, seven years ago now, and I, I don't think I've ever yeah. felt more out of my comfort zone. Go, you know, visiting yeah. young offenders, uh, prisons, uh, the arts world, public sector, um, yeah. and you're completely right. You're immersing yourself yeah. in those environments that challenge you um, is is one yeah. of the most powerful things I think you can do as a leader. Hundred percent. It's it's I think. Um, Kate, Kate Philp, who I had to speak at one of my lunches, she's an ex-major uh, in the army who got uh, blown up and lost a limb in combat. 
Um, she she put it really quite well. She said, you've got to become comfortable being uncomfortable. And, and, and if all leaders were prepared to do that, in any sector really, but, you know, in yours, um, become comfortable getting uncomfortable. Go to places that really make you uncomfortable. Because you'll find something. There's always something to yeah, learn. 100%. So, yeah, talk about the learning side of things. You've already mentioned a couple of of authors and, and, and books that you've read. Um, if listeners want to enhance their leadership skills or their organisation, what free books, podcasts or key people would you recommend that they follow? Okay. So um, I would definitely, get, you know, if they're, they're in a, a leadership position leading the team, I would definitely uh, suggest they read Legacy. I just thought that was one of the best books I've ever read, um, which is all about the New Zealand All Blacks. Uh, and I believe there's also a similar, there's, there's a couple of films about Man City, I think, with Pep Guardiola, is it Barcelona or the New England Patriots? Yeah, so, uh, um, so all, all or Nothing, I think that's um, an Amazon yeah. series, All or Nothing, yeah. which, yeah, um, yeah. So I've already mentioned name check John Maxwell. Um, John Maxwell, I, I just love his style. Um, great books, um, Irrefutable Laws. Um, Again, common sense, practical application ideas. Uh, Simon Sinek of the more recent guys, I really like his take on leadership. But also I would encourage, as I do as part of my, you, you asked earlier, how, you know, how do I challenge myself? I watch lots of TED Talks. I think that's a great resource. And I've got seven or eight podcasts. I love Marshall Goldsmith as a coach. Uh, I love his style. Um, and and he's got loads of stuff I've got in my YouTube library now that I watch, you know, six questions that, to ask any leader. And, and Marshall Goldsmith coached like CEOs of Ford, so he's like a super coach. Um, so really working with, you know, real big corporate leaders. So those would be people, but just immerse yourself in it. And the beauty is now, Paul, is that there's so much free stuff out available on the internet and YouTube. You can immerse yourself in personal development, leadership. Um, but yeah, so John, John Maxwell, Simon Sinek, read the legacy book about the All Blacks, you know, uh, engage in the TED Talks. You won't go far wrong. Yeah, there's plenty, plenty there for people to get stuck into. Yeah, some really, really good recommendations there. Um, we may have already touched on this, but I'm just going gonna, gonna to ask the question. Um, we've got a couple of quick-fire questions at the end, but what one thing needs to happen to get more children more active more often? <laughs> just the one thing that's going to... Right, okay, I, I, I'll probably come back to that thing I said earlier, make it normal. Make sport normal. It's what you do. It's just the normal part of daily life. Or maybe not sport, movement, I think you call it. You know, so it's normal to walk to work. It's normal to have playtime. It's normal to run around. It's normal to play on swings and slides. It's normal to, um, you know, throw throw a cricket ball. It's it's just normal. And and you know, how you do that, you know, that's the challenge. Uh, but sport shouldn't be. It is special, but it shouldn't be regarded as oh, we've got this special event today. We're doing a bit of sport. You know, it should be, we've got something special today. We're taking a day off from sport. You know, we, we're going to go watch something. Uh, we're going to sit down for five minutes. You know, get them to stand up in class. Get them to, you know, have five breaks a day for five minutes when they're charged with running around the field. I don't know. But make it normal. Excellent. And one, one final question then, Mark. Um we, the podcast is called The Active Code, and, it, and it's really looking at what are the secrets um, that organizations can, can kind of discover. Uh, can they crack the active code and get the nation active, really? So um, what would your advice be to other organizations in the sector to crack the active code? I suppose, I, I suppose the people that you've really got to get on side are parents, you know, engage with parents because without them, you know, you can, it's a bit like we, we talk about, you know, we get people once every two weeks for three hours, but what happens when they go back to work? You know, if, if, 
the leaders of the kids' lives aren't engaged with it. What happens when they go back back home? What happens when they have six weeks off in the summer? I don't know, is it uh, Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book, uh, Outliers, and, and sort of part of that talked about the kids in the States that really suffer, the ones that when they go, when it's not during the time they're at school that they slip back. It's when they're not at school and on their you know summer vacations and all that, if you like, the active kids continue to be active. The non-active kids get worse. They go backwards during the time they're not at school. So how do you hook the parents into this? And, and it, it links up to all sorts, where they live, where are the green spaces, where are the outdoor spaces. People who live in blocks of flats who haven't even got a balcony, how are you going to get your kids active? I'll get them to run up and down. Well, yeah, I suppose so. The lift will be broken. Get them to run up and down the stairs. But that's that. It's a. It's not. I don't think you can isolate it just in schools. It's a bigger thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's a whole of life thing. Yeah, and I think I think you're right. I think the education sector gets a hard rap at times when it yeah, comes to sure. there's any you know there's any issues. It's all the teachers' fault. I think you're right. You've, we've we've got it. And I think what what I've loved about this podcast, Mark, is we've we've kind of started with. You know, you talked about um, your play and your movement from an 18 month um, baby to to where you are now and how sport and you being active um, has really kind of helped you get to where you are now it's helped shape you as a as a leader as a as as an individual as a person and um, you know I've really enjoyed the last 50 minutes of of, because I think it, it will help lots of people and make them understand that there is an importance of being active, both from a, you know, you shared about your, your unfortunate heart attack and, you know, the, the journey that you've gone on, both pre and post um, heart attack as well, which has been, you know, really interesting in the, in, the, in the way of embedding activity, but really instilling the leadership side of things um, and making sure we've got, we've got better leaders in, in our space. So um, I just want to thank you for, for joining us. Really appreciate your time. I know you're a busy man. Um, really appreciate you sharing your insights. I'm sure it will help lots of people. Um, before we go, um, is people learning more about you, what you offer? Just a little plug, really, Mark. So where where can people get in touch with you, follow you? Yeah, um, look me up on LinkedIn. Um, I'm, I'm very active on there. Lots of videos sharing uh, ideas about how to lead. So we're not um, we're not plugging what we do. We're actually, if you like, giving away our IP for free. Um, they want to drop me an email. Um, it's mark at orangeandblue.uk, nice and simple. Uh, my website is www.orangeandblue.uk. Um, you know, get in touch. And, and my my way of doing business is, you know, we'd have to do it virtually now. We have a coffee and a chat. And uh, if there's any way I can help, I will. If there, if there is any way I can't, I'll try and find somebody that can. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Great to Thank talk you to you. Guys. Cheers. Take care. Cheers. Join us next time for the Active Code podcast. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. You can connect with us on Twitter at Aspire underscore partners and find out more about us and the network at www aspireactivepartnerships.co.uk